History tells the story of the world and of our lives. Sometimes that history goes bump in the night. Broadcasting from the center of oddity and the supernatural in Central Florida, it's the History Goes Bump podcast. Hello, you spooktacular people. Welcome to this 109th episode of the History Ghost Bump podcast. Ghost stories for the theater of the mind. I am your host, Diane. And this is Denise. And Denise, on this episode, we have the most demanded location we've had thus far in the podcast. So no pressure at all on us. (laughs) Man, we better get this right. We actually had done this location, the Winchester Mystery House, before. What had happened is I'd found this place called Mystery Manor that was a haunted house attraction that actually had been a real location that had actual hauntings that were going on in it. But they'd made up a fabricated story to go with it. And in doing the fabricated story that went with it and then trying to figure out everything, it only was like about maybe 10 to 15 minutes of the show. So I was like, I've got to have something else to do here. And I'd been looking at the Winchester Mystery House and I went, well, it has mystery in the name. And I just did Mystery Manor so I could make this the mysterious episode. It sounded like a really great idea at the time, and that's episode eight. But we only gave the Winchester Mansion about 15 minutes in that show. We kind of went through it really fast. And so we keep getting requests for it because people don't realize it's there if they haven't worked their way all the way through the archives because it doesn't actually show up when you just look down at the titles. You don't see it in the title anywhere. And I thought, you know, looking at this place and all of the wonderful comments that we've gotten about it, we're going to share a lot from our listeners because a lot of our listeners, this is probably the most visited place by all of our listeners as well, had wonderful things to say about it. And I said, you know what, we need to give this its own show and we have to do a thorough job with it. So that's what we're going to be doing for you on this episode. We hope you guys really enjoy it. We're looking forward to sharing it with you. This is one of the most unique locations probably on the planet next to, I would say, Coral Castle. Now that's talking about America. So there's going to be people in other parts of the world that would think differently. But at least here in America, I would say those are the two top unique places is built in America. I would agree. Before we get into that, we want to point you at our website, historyghostbump.com. Denise, if people want to send us feedback, where can they do that? They can do that at historyghostbump at gmail.com. We want to welcome into the Spooktacular crew, Anna. Hey, Anna. Didi and Josh. Hey, Didi and Josh. And Lisa. Hi, Lisa. We also had April join us in the Spooktacular crew, and she had let us know, Hi, everyone. I just wanted to thank you for welcoming me so warmly into the Spooktacular crew. And I do want to thank our crew for you guys being so welcoming. You guys are awesome. Yes, you are. She also said she wanted to thank you and I for this series of wonderful podcasts. I love listening to both of you while I'm driving to my sister's school in the morning. I'm also so very happy to hear about the Philippines during the Andersonville prison episode. It's very rare for me to hear about my home country in a podcast, so it really made my day. And then she made a suggestion for a future topic, which I said we will definitely look at because we haven't done a location in the Philippines. Not by itself. We've just mentioned it. So that's very cool. So thank you so much, April, for letting us know about that. Anna had also joined us in there, and she's really into cemeteries. And she had posted a picture of a pet cemetery that's in Boulder City, Nevada. And it was at night, so it was cool and creepy all at the same time. And she said the group that she had out there with her, they heard dogs barking in the distance. Only problem, there's no houses out there. They were in the middle of nowhere, apparently. Michelle DePriest had been listening to the Franklin Battlefield episode, 
And she said, did you guys hear about the Lox twins that were poisoned by that water? So when you had asked about, I wonder how this affected the people who lived here, that's one of the things that did it, poisoned a couple of twins. Oh, geez. And then we want to give a shout out to Proof Paranormal. Hey, Proof Paranormal. They've been listening to the show on road trips, and they actually shared it on their page over on Facebook, and so we greatly appreciate that. And they've been sharing our stuff on Twitter, too, I noticed. And that is an acronym for Paranormal Research of Otherworldly Forms. Kind of oh, cool, huh? very cool name. And then it's called Proof. I like that a lot. Yeah. Somebody's creative in their group. All right, everyone. Are you ready to go to the Winchester Mystery House? Yes, I am. All right, let's go. Become an executive producer of the History Goes Bump podcast for as little as a buck a month. For $5 a month, you can access exclusive content like the Haunted True Crime bonus cast. And for $10 and above a month, you get all that plus awesome History Goes Bump gear. Check out patreon.com slash historygoesbump for more information. Or you can give us a one-time donation by clicking the donate button at historygoesbump.com. History is full of oddities, curiosities, mysteries, and the truly bizarre. Welcome to This Moment in Oddity. This Moment in Oddity was suggested by Bob Shearfield. The Cock Lane Ghost, or as she is more commonly known, Scratching Fanny, was a haunting that occurred in 1762 in London. The story behind the haunting is scandalous. William Kent was married to Elizabeth Lines. She had become pregnant, and tragically, she died while giving birth to their child. The heartbroken William soon took up with a new woman, Elizabeth's sister, Fanny. (gasps) At the time, it was forbidden by law for the two to get married. That didn't stop them from living in sin together. They rented a place from a man named Richard Parsons on Cock Lane. Parsons soon borrowed a huge sum of money from William. There was no way he could ever pay it back. William had to go away on business, and while he was gone, Fanny became frightened by strange scratching noises on the walls. She thought for sure that her sister was haunting her. When William returned, they moved out. Tragedy struck again for William when Fanny died from smallpox shortly thereafter. William began to press Parsons to pay back his debt. Parsons began telling everyone that William had poisoned Fanny with arsenic. He said he knew this to be the case because Fanny herself had told him, as a ghost. He claimed that she was haunting the Cock Lane property. He said she was scratching on the walls and that her full-bodied apparition would appear. People started gathering outside on Cock Lane every day for a glimpse at the hauntings. The roads were impassable because of all the people. An investigation was begun to see if William was indeed a murderer and if the hauntings really were taking place. Was scratching Fanny the real deal? After all was said and done, it was proved that scratching Fanny was a fraud. It was Parsons' teenage daughter, Elizabeth, who'd been scratching at the walls. Her father had made her do it. The fact that a man would force his daughter to pretend to be a ghost, and that he would spread such an amazing and fraudulent story that was meant to accuse a man of murder, all to get out of paying back a debt, certainly is odd. Scared yet? Boo! <laughs> This Day in History 
this day, February 29th in 1940, Hattie McDaniels became the first African-American person to be nominated for and win an Academy Award. Hattie was born in Kansas in 1893 to two former slaves. She was one of the first African-American women to be on the radio in the 1920s. Her breakout role was in the 1934's Judge Priest. In 1940, she won the role of Mammy in Gone with the Wind. This was the role for which she won the Best Actress in a Supporting Role Oscar. She said she hoped to be a credit to her race in her acceptance speech. Some were critical of her performance, claiming that it enforced stereotypes. Her career took a downturn after this, and she went back to radio in 1947, starring in The Beulah Show. She died on October 26, 1952, in Los Angeles, California, from breast cancer. You're listening to History Goes Bump! Winchester, the tormented heiress that was driven by spirits to build this house. Or was she simply a slightly quirky woman who did lack architectural training and was compelled to build things like this, a door to a wall, a window to a wall, a staircase to a wall, a staircase to nowhere, a staircase to the ceiling, and even a door to nowhere. This is how the tours start at the Winchester Mansion, and that is the million-dollar question. And we do want to let you know that our research assistants on this was April Rogers Crick and Rhonda Williams. The Winchester Mystery House, or Winchester Mansion, is one of the most unique and bizarre homes ever built. The mystery part of the name refers to the interior infrastructure. It truly is a mystery why certain elements were constructed. There are stairways that lead to nowhere doors that open to walls, and windows on the interior of the house. Numerology plays a significant part in the design as well. Legends and rumors permeate the history of the home. Was the weird construction an elaborate attempt to fool spirits to keep them at bay? Many of the rumors about the house include tales of haunting activity. Tours are very popular here, and listener Rhonda Williams shares her experience with the flashlight tour in this episode. Come with us as we explore the mysteries, history, and hauntings of the Winchester Mansion. The story of the Winchester Mansion begins with Oliver Winchester. He was born in Boston, Massachusetts in 1810. He originally went into the clothing business and sold dress shirts. In 1857, he purchased the Volcanic Repeating Arms Company, and he changed out the name Volcanic for his own name. From 1866 through the turn of the 20th century, the Winchester lever-action repeating rifle was a legendary part of America's Old West. It was known as the gun that won the West. The Winchester rifle was used during the Civil War and was used by American settlers. The gun helped to make Oliver Winchester a wealthy man. William Wirt Winchester was born in 1837. He was Oliver's son and was a part of the Winchester Company for his entire life. When Oliver died on December 10, 1880, the Winchester Company was worth over $3 million and his personal fortune another $1.5 million. 
He left his estate in equal thirds to his wife, his daughter, and his only son, William. William married Sarah Lockwood Party in 1862. She was a four-foot, 10-inch, 90-pound debutante. Big lady. Yeah, huge. She's an Amazon. (laughs) Sarah was born in 1839, played the piano well, read voraciously, and spoke four languages. William and Sarah had one daughter, Annie, in 1866. Annie died of marasmus, a disease that prevents the human body from breaking down protein, and the afflicted person starves to death. Sarah watched her daughter starve to death until Annie passed away at six weeks old. She is buried in New Haven, Connecticut. It took Sarah 10 years to get past the death of her only child. In late March 1881, just three months after his father's death, William succumbed to tuberculosis, leaving his one-third of the Winchester fortune to his widow, Sarah. She would make about $1,000 a day from the Winchester Company. You imagine back in that day, I mean, that's a lot of money nowadays. Back then, wow, this woman is really, really wealthy. Very much so. She's also very, very heartbroken. She's lost her husband, her only child, and she watched her die in a horrible way. Her father-in-law has uh, is died, and her mother also have all died in this time period. So she's pretty much lost all these people around her. I can't even imagine. That's a lot of grief for one person to bear in a very, very short time. After William's death, Sarah was encouraged by a friend to visit a medium so that she could speak to William again. Spiritualism was all the rage at the time, with seances taking place in the homes of many a Victorian parlor. Sarah already was a superstitious woman, as will be reflected later in the design of the Winchester Mansion. The medium she consulted was named Adam Coons. Sarah explained to him that she was worried that the spirits of those killed by Winchester rifles would come after her to seek revenge. Coons supported this belief, although there was obviously no proof for this. He and Sarah both thought all the deaths in her family were because of these spirits. But disease was a part of life back then. Dying of tuberculosis was common, as we all know. Coons encouraged Sarah to sell her home in Connecticut and move to California. She did move with her sister and claimed that William guided her to the Santa Clara Valley. So here we start the whole story with the tempting of the spirits. Indeed. And of course, when it comes to the Winchester Mystery House... A lot of it is legend. So did she really visit this medium? Did he really talk to William? Is this really the information that was passed back and forth? We don't know, but based on what the house looks like when it gets done, it does seem to support that there was something going on here that she was trying to escape or deal with in some architectural way. Architectural therapy? I guess. (laughs) That's a new one. Yeah, I need some architectural therapy. I love it, Denise. Sarah moved into a small eight-room farmhouse situated amongst apricot and prune orchards in San Jose, California in 1884 and became a millionaire recluse. There was something else that legend claims the medium told Sarah. He explained that when she bought her new home, she must continue construction on the place as long as she lived so the ghosts of those killed by Winchester rifles would have somewhere to live and be pacified. Based on the interior of the house, we would think the construction was meant to confuse the ghost. Another legend says that Sarah was a spiritualist who believed that as long as she kept building onto the house, she wouldn't die. Sarah almost immediately began construction on the small farmhouse. A third, then fourth story appeared above the trees. Towers and strange abutments materialized. A fifth and sixth story were added. The ongoing building was strange enough, but the mismatched exterior architecture of the constantly growing Victorian-styled house had the locals, 
who loved to gossip, convinced that the widow Winchester was more than just an eccentric recluse. Neighbors would peek through the elaborate gardens. They watched the construction in amazement, but most never saw the inside. Sarah rarely invited guests into her home. You know, she never took pictures of anything either. Well, she was a true, true, true recluse. And I don't know if the picture thing was a superstition thing, too. Gossiping servants added to the stories of her eccentric, reclusive lifestyle and obsession with ghosts within the community. Sarah's neighbor and other residents of San Jose believed her as crazy as she was rich. Sarah ruled her household with a firm hand. She would often spy on her staff, and she had elaborate little ways of doing it so that they wouldn't even know that she was doing it, built into the house. Or sometimes she would just show up behind them. They'd turn around, and there she was. She'd been watching them. Oh, my gosh. That would completely, like, freak me out. As somebody who cleans homes for a living, if any of my clients did that, it would kind of freak me out because I'd be like, why are you just watching me? Usually they follow me around and talk to me because when they're little old ladies, they like to talk to you. I think sometimes some of them have me come just for that reason. That would kind of freak me out a little bit. Well, and you'd be, I would be afraid to sneak up on somebody, especially if they're not paying attention, because they could like end up like elbowing you and taking you out. That's true. But you know what? Few of them would quit their jobs because she paid high wages. All the employees, except for her personal secretary and the butler who served dinner, were forbidden to see her unless she wore a veil. Even an accidental glimpse was instant dismissal. Servants needed maps to navigate the miles and miles of corridors. And they would have to update those regularly, I guess, because the construction was ongoing. (laughs) Hidden passageways were concealed by wall panels. Behind one closet door was a solid wall. Behind another was access to 30 more rooms. Some doors opened on to unexpected dangers, such as a two-story drop to the floor below. A fireplace chimney stopped short of the ceiling. A bathroom door was made of clear glass. Better not be going in there too late at night. And having to run if you got to go. And a wide balcony that suddenly narrowed to mere inches. Whether Sarah was crazy or eccentric, she was rich. So she had the luxury of following her every desire. Sarah arrived in San Jose with $20 million. And in 1897, when Mrs. Oliver Winchester died, she inherited 2,000 more shares of Winchester stock. Sarah expected only quality materials and craftsmanship. She ordered Tiffany glass designed with her favorite flower, the daisy, French wallpaper, Belgian crystal, and West Africa mahogany. Redwood is used throughout the house. And a fun fact about that is redwood is termite resistant. I did not know that. Can you imagine a wood that's termite resistant? No. So I wonder if it's because it's kind of a rich wood. I wonder if it's the flavor they don't like or I don't know. Maybe. Doorknobs were made of copper, silver, and gold. She also had installed an automated elevator, the first seen on the West Coast. She used only the latest technologies, including a few of her own inventions. When Sarah found a fabric she liked in town, she would buy it all up so no one else in town would have the same design. The plaster was made with horsehair, making it more insulated. We heard this in the, was it the Myrtle's Plantation that used horsehair plaster as well? I think. I think so. I think I, don't I remember, remember talking to Patrick about that and going, ew, but it actually, I mean, it insulates it and holds the plaster together. So Yeah. One fireplace is inspired by a pagoda and made from West African mahogany. The metal cupboard is the Spiritualist Society's spider web. The brick is actually Minnesota pipestone, which is used in manufacture of peace pipes, and it's etched so that it appears to be brick. Now, the interesting thing is they tell you on the tour a lot that there's these spider webs that are symbols for the spiritualist society 
I'm thinking that that is what Sarah has chosen as the symbol for her group. I don't know that it was a specific symbol for that group. If a listener knows differently, please let us know. But I couldn't seem to find anything about that. I do know that spiders are considered spiritual guides in spider lore for druids. So I don't know if that's kind of somewhere where that would come through. If I was to go with my own thinking, a spider web might catch the soul. I don't know. Well, in dream catchers, I mean, if you just think of dream catchers, they kind of have that web appearance. That's true. So could have some truth there. I just know that I, no offense to anybody out there, but I don't think I would want spider to be my personal light totem or anything. No, I don't like spiders. (laughs) Not at all. Or snakes for you. Spiders and snakes. Anyway. (laughs) The house grew to seven stories with the installation of an observation tower. No official plans were ever drawn up of the Victorian-style house, and the foreman, John Hansen, followed Mrs. Winchester's plans rather than common sense or his own expertise over the years, causing chaos. The floor plan changed constantly. Many structures were built, torn down, then built again. Additions stick out in all directions. New wings were erected within inches of old ones. A bell tower in the yard was eventually surrounded by the house. This made the bell tower accessible only through a secret underground tunnel. I definitely want to go see this place. I do, too. The mansion is full of many oddities. One room has a gaslight operated by an electric switch. (laughs) Denise says she's got her brows, like, knitting together. Yes, you read that right. Okay. It's an oddity. (laughs) Yes, it is. I I did the oddity expression. I'm sorry, y'all couldn't see it. And get ready for this next part. Another small room contains four fireplaces, four hot air registers from a central furnace, and two gas heaters. So that room is warm. <laughs> <That's> <laughs> Can what... you imagine? It's a little room, and it's got four, all those different ways of heating it up. Well, maybe if there was a lot of spirits or something, maybe she wanted to keep the chill away. And she wanted to make sure that they had their preference. Are you for the gas? Are you for the electric? Or would you rather just go for the natural? Or do you want it all? Yeah, they could turn it all on. And, you know, especially let's, you know, go with the gas heater and the fireplace at the same time. (laughs) (laughs) There are stairways that lead into solid blank walls and ceilings. And just a fun note here, I don't know if any of you all, I'd mentioned it before, but if any of you all had been to the Haunted Mansion at Walt Disney World, but there is a room when they reimagined the mansion that has just stairs going to everywhere, and that room was actually inspired by the Winchester Mansion. Many of the 10,000 windows open onto solid walls, and there are cupboards that open into another room like windows. There are 52 skylights, many opening into floors of rooms above them. I don't know how that makes them skylights, but okay. A little dark. (laughs) Ceiling lights, maybe? (laughs) Sarah had only three mirrors in the immense mansion to appease the good spirits. The seance room has one entrance and three secret exits. Maybe that's so the spirits can come in but can't follow her back out. Or she invited people over for a seance and she left and let them get, like, taken (laughs) by the spirits. I don't know. It's a horror movie in Denise's head. The grand ballroom was built almost entirely without the use of nails and contains two leaded stained glass windows with mysterious quotes from the works of Shakespeare. The 7-Eleven staircase goes down seven steps and then up 11. And in the end, you remain on the second floor. The switchback staircase is a winding staircase with 44 steps. In any other house, climbing that amount of stairs would put one three stories higher. In the Winchester Mansion, those stairs are only two inches high and only rise nine feet. The reason for this could be very practical. 
Sarah did have arthritis, so it would make it easier to climb shorter stairs. Another fun fact, the house had to be brought up to code in 1949, and fire sprinklers had to be installed without the benefit of blueprints. Imagine putting fire sprinklers in the house. There are seven and a half miles of piping in that system. Holy cow. And then there is the number 13. Dun, dun, dun. Your favorite number, Denise. You're going to love this woman. I, I already actually like her a lot. I mean, she might be eccentric and a little bit crazy, but you know, those are, <laughs> I, I tend to like those people. So almost every room is paneled with 13 sections. Almost every stairway has 13 steps. Most of the chandeliers have 13 lights and most of the outside rooms contain 13 windows and there are 13 bathrooms. Nearly all the windows contain 13 panes of glass. There are also 13 hooks each with a robe hung on it. And that's in the seance room. Okay, that sounds really cool, but I'll let Patrick check that one out for me. The front drive is lined with 13 palm trees. She even added 13 drainage holes to a hand-painted Italian antique sink. So apparently she really liked that number, Denise. Tragedy struck on April 18, 1906. An earthquake that more than likely would have measured between 8.1 to 8.4 on the Richter scale struck California. Its effects were felt from Los Angeles to northern Oregon. The Winchester Mansion held up fairly well considering the chaos in which it was built, but the observation tower toppled and the house was lowered to four stories. The front area of the house was badly damaged and Sarah had the entire front portion of the house sealed off because she thought the spirits were angry with her since they did not protect the house nor her from the quake. She herself was trapped for several hours in her daisy room after the earthquake. The front entrance was never used again. Well, at least she got trapped in her favorite room. That's true. So maybe the spirits were looking out for her, just saying. Sarah died on September 5th, 1922, and the construction immediately stopped. The construction had gone on round the clock for 38 years. In the end, she had spent $5.5 million on construction. There are 160 rooms, and the house covers 2,400 square feet. There are 10,000 windows, which are more windows than the Empire State Building contains. There are 2,000 doors, 52 skylights, 47 fireplaces, 40 bedrooms, 40 staircases, 17 chimneys, 13 bathrooms, 6 kitchens, and 3 elevators. The hammering ceased and left half-driven nails sticking out from unfinished lumber. The house was quickly sold and Sarah's furnishings were sent off to auction meaning that the furniture in the mansion currently is not the original. The mansion is now a historical landmark. Open for tours now, psychics, tourists, and tour guides all report strange occurrences in the mansion. And another fun fact is Harry Houdini visited the Winchester Mansion in 1924. And apparently he went into the seance room. We're not sure what happened there, but... Uh... He was always checking into those seances, seeing if they were the real deal. And I don't think it was necessarily... A lot of people said he was going around to debunk all of that. He did debunk a lot, but I think he truly was searching to see if there was this afterlife. Yes, and the thing, just looking and reading all that and how the construction was constantly going on, if she... I have a feeling Sarah might have started out as eccentric and all the construction probably drove her crazy. Could you be, I get so stressed out when there's construction and walls and banging and hammering. Could you imagine that for 38 years straight, never stopping? That would make me nuts. 
No. <laughs> and of course, they didn't have power tools back then, so it wouldn't have been quite as bad as it is nowadays with the saws and things going. But still, pounding, the hammers pounding and stuff would get a bit old after a while, I would think. I would think, but... But you know, the house is so huge that maybe it was happening over on the other end and she was on this opposite end, so she might not have heard too much of it. Oh, that that's true as well. Sarah did not leave the home after her death. She reportedly haunts the house. Brent Miller was caretaker of the home from 1973 to 1981, and he heard breathing and footsteps in the room where Sarah Winchester died. This is not necessarily the room she always slept in, because Sarah slept in a different bedroom every night, hoping to avoid contact with the ghosts. She also had a ritual that she followed to keep spirits from following her into the seance room. At exactly midnight, the bell in the tower would toll. This would signal Sarah to scurry along the twisting corridors and secret passageways up and down elevators and odd-sized staircases, in and out of windows. Her roundabout route discourages anyone from following her. With a final glance over her shoulder, she would enter the seance room through a one-way door. This room was deep in the heart of the mansion and was off-limits to all but her, at least all the living. This is where it is said she would receive her building instructions from the spirits. After the meeting, she often hosted a dinner party with 13 settings. Her chefs fixed gourmet meals, which were served on gold plates. It's not known if her guests were living or dead. It'd be interesting to find out if there was any food left on 12 of the plates. Quite true. She didn't have a lot of people come into the home, so I don't know what she was throwing all these dinner parties. Doesn't seem like a lot of them would be for actual living people. Unless my tale that I wove is true, and she was inviting real people and feeding them and then killing them off. Now you sound like a whole season of American Horror Story. Keep your clothes on. Yes, uh, American Horror Story has kind of gotten to the point where I can't even watch it anymore. Because I'm like, are we trying to scare people or is this soft porn? And I've only seen one episode and it was definitely soft porn. Mm -hmm. Most haunting activity is centered on the third floor. A tour guide said that she had once been taking a group of young boys around the house. And when they got to the third floor, one boy claimed about being extremely cold. He started to shiver. The other boys felt his skin, and he was ice cold. None of the rest of them felt cold. When the group left the third floor, the boy warmed right up. A friend of Miller's caught a picture of an apparition in coveralls when he came to visit. Could this be the carpenter ghost that has been seen laying the floor? Another caretaker turned off all the lights and locked up one night, and when he got to his car, he glanced at the house and saw that every light on the third floor was lit. Unused kitchens sometimes give off the scent of a warm meal, particularly chicken soup. A manager at the mansion named Janet started working here when she was a teenager. One day she was mopping when she heard bustling coming from one of the kitchens. She walked into the kitchen and found it empty. She went back to mopping and again heard pots and pans banging around. She checked the kitchen and found it empty again. It happened a third time and then stopped. Janet also had another freaky experience. She was watering plants and heard a loud rapping several times. She checked each of the three times that it happened to see if anyone else was in the house with her, but she was alone. The final time she heard the rapping, she figured out it was coming from the roof area. She went up to investigate and something closed and locked the door behind her. That door has only two keys. Janet had one of the keys with her, thankfully, so she could unlock the door. The other key was with the other manager. She called him to verify that he had the key. He did. So who locked the door? Sort of like what happened to us in St. Augustine. That's totally what I was thinking when I heard that. I'm like, oh, we've been locked in by ghosts too. Well, Diane is. They liked me. That's true. I was the one who got locked in. But mm -hmm. it could have been to keep you locked out. 
but they didn't want me in their lighthouse. No, they just know I don't tempt spirits, so they lock the one in that does. <laughs> That's true. Paranormal investigators report feeling icy spots, hearing organ music, seeing orbs and locked doorknobs turn, and moving light. Some windows slam shut hard enough that they shatter. A tour guide named Elizabeth was walking to the Oriental rooms that contained items from the Orient that were common in Victorian homes. She claims that something compelled her to turn around, and she looked at the fireplace that had been behind her. She noticed an elbow on the mantel and realized that it was attached to a full-body apparition of a 20-something young woman wearing period clothing from the 1920s. She was around 5 foot 4 with dark hair. Elizabeth looked away and then looked again, and the ghost was still standing there. She was sure of what she saw. When she looked away and then looked back one more time, the female figure had disappeared. The staff believes that the ghost belongs to Marion Marriott, who was Sarah's niece and personal secretary. According to ghost lore, the mansion's odd features make sense. Spirits like to use fireplaces to enter and exit a place, and it is said they dislike mirrors. The mansion contains 47 fireplaces, but only three mirrors. Ghosts do not cast shadows, so Sarah arranged light fixtures so that the ghosts would not feel conspicuous and humiliated because they did not cast shadows. Legend claims that the mansion also reflects Sarah's attempts to control which ghosts visited. By catering to their wishes and providing extravagant luxuries, she welcomed good spirits. The confusing floor plans and oddities such as hand-carved wooden posts and railing installed upside down were meant to discourage the spirits of outlaws killed by Winchester rifles. Superstition also caused Sarah to board up a cellar room where she kept a wonderful wine cellar. One evening, she went to get a bottle to enjoy and noticed a black handprint on the wall. She assumed that an evil ghost had made the print. Common sense tells us that it was more than likely one of the dozens of workmen that came through the house. Nevertheless, she walled up the room, and no one has ever been able to locate the wine cellar to this day. I bet the wine that's in there would be worth a lot of money now. Oh, I bet you not only just linked to the Winchester Mansion, but it has aged very, very nicely, I would exactly, think. Exactly, as long as, you know, it didn't get contaminated. Some people claim that the story about Sarah fearing spirits was baloney. In the 1950s, a series of interviews of Sarah's nephew, William Winchester Merriman, were conducted by an author, and the book claims she had not been obsessed with gun-fearing ghosts and spirits. According to the author, William said his aunt had simply decided to take up the hobby of architecture to get her mind off of her past traumas. The author also claims he explained that many of the bizarre things in the house had been added after her death to make the house more intriguing when it opened for public tours. This story also claims that she had actually lived in a houseboat at the tip of San Francisco Bay at times. This has since been debunked as the author taking creative license to sell more books and articles. So this is kind of where some of the debate comes in, is that you hear these legends, and then there's a lot of people say, well, they're actually just made up and not true. So a lot of it does go back to this interview that was conducted and other people saying things. But all I know is there was a lot of servants in that house, and they were making these claims. And they had no reason to do that because they were getting paid very well. So if they really, really hated their job and having somebody watch them, they could have gone elsewhere. So the money was pretty good. So I don't know. I would believe some of what is said to be legend about the way she built things and that a lot of this wasn't added afterward because because you had the servants and the workmen there who made these claims. One of our listeners, Rhonda Williams, went on the flashlight tour at the mansion a couple of weeks ago, and she shared her experiences and pictures with us. Rhonda said, quote, Before the tour, we had some time, and we were strolling around the garden. 
My boyfriend saw a light hovering on a wall, and he couldn't find any source for it. I didn't see that, unfortunately, but he did. The picture shows him looking at the wall in question. If I knew he was seeing an orb, I would have pointed the camera elsewhere. So we have a really cool picture that she took, though, there in the back garden area, so you can kind of see what that looks like, and it's dark with all these lights around it. So, And you could tell he's looking at something. It actually is really cool because it, it looks like a almost like a painting, like an old-fashioned picture in black and white. It doesn't look like a picture taken a couple weeks ago. You're right, it does, just because it's in the dark and the way the lighting is. Yeah, that's really neat. And we do have all these photos up in the show notes. During the tour, Rhonda said a bunch of people, including her boyfriend, heard faint music. It wasn't electronic sounding like it came from a phone. She said neither she nor the tour guide had heard it, but the tour guide said that it's kind of common. And I actually listened to the tour, and indeed, you could hear a few people saying, did you just hear that? Yeah, I just heard some music. And the tour guide said, well, occasionally we hear people say that. There's this legend of the wheelbarrow man or the wheelbarrow ghost. And Rhonda took a picture of this wheelbarrow man, and we have that photo up there. And what she said about it is, this photo I took of another photo. The man who's highlighted was one of the groundskeeper and is a spirit called the wheelbarrow ghost. He's been seen by different people over the years pushing his wheelbarrow around the grounds. When I took the photo, it was completely lit up, but the actual image on my phone mainly highlights the wheelbarrow guy. And it's so funny because when I initially looked at this picture before I saw what she had written, I was like, oh, that's kind of cool. It looks like when you're watching a TV show and they want you to see what one of the people in the picture is that they're talking about, they'll highlight that person. And that's what this looks like. So I would have thought that they had like a spotlight right on him, like a little bitty light or that somebody had put their flashlight right on that. That's exactly what I thought when I first saw the photo as well. And she says that whole picture had light on it. So that is really weird. Now, the story behind this guy, and he looks exactly in that picture, looks like the legend that I've looked up where they say what happened is several tour guides were cleaning out the basement area and they saw a mustached man in white coveralls pushing a wheelbarrow. And in that picture, it's a guy wearing what looks like white coveralls. And then one time they were doing a behind-the-scenes tour of the home, and a visitor pointed to the photograph that's hanging in the gardener's tool shed and said, I saw that man in the basement. He had a wheelbarrow. And it was neat because she just shared her thoughts on it that she said, kind of cool, I thought, a weird trick of lighting that didn't really make sense when I took it. And then you'll see in the show notes, we've also included some of the other photos she took of the interior shots of the Winchester Mansion. And then, as Diane had mentioned earlier, we had a lot of our listeners that have visited the home, and so we wanted to include a lot of their comments as well. So the first one is from Beth Edwards Lang. Very interesting story. Kind of feel sorry for the lady who's always thinking something was after her. We did a flashlight tour on Friday the 13th. The house is amazing. Michelle Dupree said, it was an amazing home. Unfortunately, our guide really rushed us. I never had any experiences there. I think I might have at the Whaley House, which we do have on our list for future. But if you look on YouTube, they have a video of the chandelier moving on its own. Shelly Emery, what a place. Windows in the floor, doors that open to walls, doors that open to three stories drop, etc., etc. I didn't have any experiences, though, but what an amazing place. April Garachi, I hope I got that last name right. It's so gorgeous. The architecture alone is worth the visit, but the history and supernatural stories make it even better. From Leanna Sapien, Amazeballs, and it's short person friendly. My brother felt the presence behind him during the tour when he was behind a door that had no knob on his side. 
Regardless of the creepy, it's just a fun house. And Lisa Linderman said, I went in the summer of 2014, took the regular tour and the behind the scenes tour. I never felt creeped out or scared, had no experiences except for missing a bottom stair and falling into a post. Well, she bumped into something. Something went bump. (laughs) A post. (laughs) To say I fell in love with the place is putting it mildly. So beautiful, and I actually found it quite peaceful. I am determined to go back, and if I could swing it, I would probably stay overnight. Incidentally, I was strongly persuaded both by the tour and by some poking about that the being pursued by ghosts was either entirely fabricated or at least extremely exaggerated. She was unbelievably rich, bored, lonely, and eccentric, and possibly a Freemason. That would explain some features of the house, too. I love Sarah Winchester and her amazing house, but Dean will always be my favorite. There is no doubt that the Winchester Mansion reflects the eccentric nature of a fascinating woman. Did she really fear bad spirits? Did she take construction advice from friendly spirits? Is she still in her home in the afterlife? Have other spirits made this mansion their home? Is the Winchester Mystery House haunted? That is for you to decide. Well, it gives us a reason to go to San Jose. Absolutely. I I so want to see this house in person. My mom has actually been to the house, but she said she said it was outrageous when they went to go visit the inside. And I said, well, wait till you hear about us going to the Biltmore. We hear that's pretty expensive, too. So she only saw the outside of it, but she said it was amazing just looking at the outside. Yeah, we're we're going to we're going to spring for the money to go in for sure. Oh, you have to. You have to go inside. I'm like, "Mom, are you crazy?" All right. Well, we are coming into the month of March. We're going to have a little something called March Madness, which will be a surprise to all of the listeners. So, <laughs> we'll have to wait to find out what's happening there. We do have six fabulous locations up for this next month. That means we're only going to be putting out six shows. We want so much to give to you guys and get to all of the locations that you've suggested. And we just want to put out all these shows. But sometimes, sometimes we get a little bit overly zealous. A little thinly stretched. And I told Denise last this month, I guess would be February, that I was starting to get to where I wasn't enjoying doing the show anymore <laughs> because Uh-oh. it was... Every moment of the day, I would wake up early with her, work on it, go work for eight hours or what have you, come home and be doing that as well. And sometimes we were even sitting at the dinner table working on it. So I was like, you know, this is too much. Even with the research crew helping out as much as they have been, they have lives too. So they can only do so much. And so I said, you know what? We need to dial this back until I'm able to start replacing some of the homes that I'm cleaning with doing more of the history ghost bump stuff. So we're taking it back to where we had it originally, where it was about every five days we were putting up a show. So we'll be doing that till we reach our next goal at Patreon, which is the $1,200 level. And that way I can start doing my real job, J-O-B, as they say, part-time. And then I'm already doing this full-time. So then I can really put more focus into doing this full-time. And then we'll get ourselves up to about nine to 10 shows with that. Next up is going to be the Felt Mansion. And this was suggested by our listener, Becky. And then we have three reviews to share. We're going to start with the worst to the best. (laughs) That's the best way to do it. So we got a two-star review, Denise. Oh, no. And this is uh, Dr. Katzebrow. Can't understand Denise. Interesting show, but I can't understand the co-host, Denise. She has a voice that is not well-suited for a podcast show. She's muffled and has a lisp. Would be better if they got a new co-host. Well, Denise, at least he didn't say you were just beyond annoying. No, you might have to cut me off like gangrene. Dr. K, first. The co-host is my wife, and I've been listening to that beautiful voice for 21 years now, and I will never get tired of hearing it say, I love you. Oh, thank you, honey. 
Number two, the thing that you're referring to as a lisp, I guess, would be what most people think is her accent. And Denise, where does your accent come from? I have no idea. Because <laughs> you're from? Utah. <laughs> and uh, most of us love it. And as a matter of fact, it's a Mormeyer trait. Her three brothers and her father all sound exactly the same. This is true. And third, if we were in a bar and I hadn't been trained in Taekwondo with the tenant, I must never misuse Taekwondo, I'd punch you, sir. Oh, honey, don't punch nobody, but thank you. So here's a little funny insight. When we got the three-star review that was about Denise that said that her voice was just beyond annoying, I had read it out loud to the listeners, but Denise was not here. So I didn't let her know that we had gotten that because I didn't want her feelings to be hurt. Well, you guys are so amazing that everybody jumped in and was saying, how dare that person say that about Denise? And we love her and just going on and on about how much you guys love Denise. And so, of course, she comes to me and goes, well, what are they talking about? <laughs> so I had to tell her about it. So here again, I was like, okay, I am not telling her about this two-star review. Well, we have such wonderful listeners that here's Miss Lindsay giving us a five-star review, obsessed. I love, love, love this podcast. I'm obsessed with this podcast. I appreciate the variety and well-researched history. To the jerk who tagged on Denise, I appreciate her voice. This duo is amazing. So... I had to tell you because I was like, well, when I read that review, she's going to be like, what's she talking about? Well, and I got to love it how much you try to protect my feelings. So thank you. But I can take it. Yes, she can. Now, not that I'm encouraging a lot of people to come and leave <laughs> one and two star reviews and talk about how much you hate me. But occasionally I can handle it. And finally, we have Steffi Face 39. Five stars. Great work. The ladies do a great job with their research on the locations and history. They have a remarkable report with one another and their occasional guests. Early recordings sound as you would expect, early recordings to sound, quality, etc. So I'm not sure why some reviewers are surprised. So for those people who are sensitive to things like that, try listening new to old because this podcast is totally worth sticking with. Thanks, Steffi. We yeah, appreciate that. Thank you. We want to thank you guys for tuning in for this episode. I have been your host, Diane. And this has been Denise. You take care now. Bye-bye. This episode has been brought to you by our executive producers. We'd like to welcome new executive producers, John Mueller and Amy Martinez. Thank you. Fan of the show? Subscribe to the show on iTunes, Stitcher, or your favorite podcast catcher. We would greatly appreciate your review at iTunes as well to help the show grow. Thank you. Societies rise and societies fall. When the time comes, one society steps forward to build a better future. The Wicked Library, Kettle Whistle Radio. Night Story Podcast, Prog Watch, Red Horse Radio, The Lift, History Goes Bumble, Listen, The M Writing Podcast, Society 13, Rebuilding Society, One Podcast at a Time.